and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights, and this is as bad a fire as we Today, it's multi-time Pro Mod winner Lyle Barnett and Mark Menser, one of the great gurus of suspension door slammer technology. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. We're talking about going fast with doors and pro-modified cars across drag racing. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pentagon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here with this week's episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast where you're going into the world of door slammer drag racing. Going to talk to Lyle Barnett, his breakout rookie season, picking up two victories on the year, a year that saw the team make drastic changes to their program, switch horses midstream, going to a turbocharged combination that many people had written off uh, perhaps way too early and perhaps uh, very incorrectly as Lyle and the entire Elite HP team really put the screws to him over the course of Dallas and then in the Las Vegas event as well. It was something special to watch, certainly something special to see, and it's going to be very fun to catch up with Lyle to find out exactly how they did it what they did and why it worked. Another guy we're going to talk to in this show is Mark Metzer of Metzer Motorsports. Mark is a very interesting guy, a guy who has a deep history in a lot of different styles of racing, but really kind of came into drag racing and with a new fresh set of eyes, revolutionized in so many ways the way that drag racing suspensions were looked at, evaluated, and how they were set up. We're going to talk to him about succeeding not only in NHRA Pro Modified Action, but in radial drag racing really across the board. And it's going to be a fun conversation because Mark is a very interesting guy, and I can guarantee you we'll find ourselves down some rabbit holes on that one. It has been and continues to be a busy week in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. Just a couple of days ago, we saw the release of uh, Tony Stewart Racing that they released the fact that Dodge will be their uh, major primary backer over the course of the 2022 season. We saw Matt Hagen and Leah Pruitt um, uh, unveil, if you will, their Top Fuel Dragster and Nitro Funny Car. Good-looking hot rods a pair, and the fact that Dodge uh, maintains their their big presence in the world of NHRA drag racing is huge, and it's going to be fun to watch that whole kind of scenario unfold. Other news this week were Justin Ashley announcing a new sponsorship with Phillips Connect. Now, this is a three-race sponsorship. My understanding, a three-race deal with uh, some designs on expanding that deal uh, past the three races. We'll find out how that goes, but definitely for the first three races, we'll see Justin Ashley and the Phillips Connect Top Fuel Dragster. And the executive vice president of Phillips Connect is a guy you probably know if you follow NHRA Drag Racing, Jim Epler. Epler, the first man to ever go 300 miles an hour in a Nitro Funny Car, and a guy who had a long and very successful career in NHRA drag racing. It is cool to see his name back associated with the sport in this way. Certainly the association with Justin Ashley and that entire team looks to be an exciting one to watch. You know, it's been a lot of the business-style news, if you will. If you follow the teams on social media, We've seen stuff like new trailers and trucks being delivered to the likes of Antron Brown. We have seen and heard of uh, teams getting their, you know, really, I don't want to say final preparation, but really moving toward a final preparation style um, of of the, this time of the offseason. We're just a handful of weeks away from that uh, Nitro Spring Training test in February, the week before the NHRA Winter Nationals, the Lucas Oil Winter Nationals presented by Protect the Harvest. And so, you know, the level of anticipation is very high. 
Um, there is news coming in our understanding of Austin Proc uh, being announced a sponsor as well as a full-time deal as well as a uh, addition to the crew chief brain trust there at John Forrest Racing and all indications are that addition to the crew chief brain trust is going to blow a lot of minds and we start to look around and you wonder well who's left who's out there for crew chiefs that has not yet been hired or scooped up and, and there are uh, there are a handful of names and it's going to be a big one obviously very interested to hear about who the primary sponsor of that car is going to be but um, by all indications of the NHRA insider status that I have Austin Proc will be out full-time for the 2022 NHRA Camping World drag racing season and the top fuel category is going to be stacked upon stacked upon stacked I mean we're adding a full-time car with Austin we're adding a full-time car with Tony Schumacher which we've discussed along with other people that have expanded their schedules and expanded their racing plans as they've been able to find some sponsorship money and the pro stock division is looking very interesting as well as there are rumors of a return to the seat of a prominent name and can't really go too much further than that but what we can say is that uh there are rumors bubbling around pro stock as there have been around other categories and these are good rumors not the they're going to park their car rumors this is oh somebody else wants to jump in the pond if not full-time enough to come out and be a disruptor in the world of nhra camping world drag racing the first test session was held for the new supra funny car body the uh, coletta motorsports team was down there with toyota gazoo racing which is what we're going to be hearing a lot of this year no longer really referred to as trd it is toyota gazoo racing which you're going to be um that's the way we're going to be referring to that operation now going forward that's what they've rebranded themselves globally and so that's what uh, what it's going to be same um same great flavor just a different name i guess you'd say same great engineering background and all the support that they've provided of course they've expanded their driver lineup for 2022 the addition of steve torrance as a toyota driver we saw justin ashley getting publicity photos taken with toyota as well and that early season test and i'm talking early early season test for as far as these type of things go for nitro teams uh, very important of course that new funny car body we're going to talk a lot about this early in the season but you know it's not simply just bolting the body on the chassis and and making it work instantaneously things change especially in a nitro funny car when you put a new body on these things 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 like the center of pressure how is this body loading the tires how is this body loading the chassis what are you going to do with the wings and with the wing in the back you know there's all kinds of different things and then of course you know there's the more human element of the driver getting comfortable in there and, and understanding you know um the the quirks if you will or the proclivities that body has all indications are the drivers are going to love it the biggest windshield we've seen in a nitro funny car probably since the 1970s and so plenty of visibility there as well both good and bad on the front of social media and media content if you've not checked out a couple of great pieces of content we put up over the last week or two please do it uh, we did a great sit down with sean langdon using toyota visor cam footage uh, from the nhra finals in pomona and sean took us through three or four runs three runs but we looked at them a couple of different ways and he explains things that a lot of fans may not know he explains things that a lot of fans may miss when we watch these cars accelerate from zero to 330 miles an hour in a matter of just a handful of seconds so make sure you hit up nhra's youtube page or uh, facebook twitter it's all kind of been posted around there but the interview with sean langdon as he walks us through these runs is really really good and as a completely self-serving note, uh, there's a video that we released on Big Daddy Don Garlett's 90th birthday, which occurred uh, a few days back. And the video is called Big on Big. 
and I went through the NHRA archive and pulled my seven favorite Dave Big Mac McClellan calls of Big Daddy Don Garlitz, and these range from the 1975 finals all the way into the mid to late 1980s. And, you know, that these are two icons, obviously Don Garlitz, uh, roundly considered by me and many other people the greatest drag racer who has ever lived. Uh, Dave McClellan's voice will forever for eons and eons be considered the pinnacle voice of national hot rod association and it is a humbling experience to be able to follow in his footsteps doing this type of stuff but um to hear mcclellan's voice and to watch big daddy don garlitz kind of do what he did over the course of a career that spanned the ages is uh, really fun so that's called big on big you can find it on nhra's youtube page We've kind of uh, calling this a Nitro Time Machine XL. The video is about 18 minutes long, but it takes you inside those calls, and it's really, really good, uh, if I don't say so myself. We'll be doing more of those, um, let's call them XL versions of the Nitro Time Machine down the road because it's fun to to look back in a little bit more in-depth way than we typically do in the you know normal kind of five to seven minute range. So, you know, we talked about all these different things. We've been talking to our NHRA Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series champions on Skype doing remote interviews as well. If you've not caught up with any of them, please make sure you do that because those um, those sportsman racers do tell awesome stories of their championships in the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. And you're going to be able to see a full slate of them as they are released a couple times a week. So what do we do now? What do we look at now? What are we thinking about now? Just a couple of weeks ahead of the Winter Nationals. Um, you know, we know Cameron Caruso has been out there testing the wheels off her car. Bo Butner has a brand new Camaro that he will be out testing, running with the Elite Motorsports Group. I think they're planning on getting to the racetrack this week as I make this show. So it is uh, it is heating up. And there is news coming regarding the NHRA All-Star Callout Shootout events, one of which being held, of course, at Gainesville for Top Fuel Dragsters, the other one being held at the U.S. Nationals for Nitro Funny Cars. You're going to hear about a sponsor on those events. You're going to hear about the media coverage of those events, which will exceed what you may think is coming. It's going to be great. Speaking of media coverage, 1320 video, which is a massive uh, YouTube presence, massive presence across uh, Instagram, Facebook, all really social media. Uh, spent some time at the NHRA Finals. If you've not watched their video content from the NHRA Finals, which they have been releasing over the last couple of weeks, please do. They put together a really awesome long-form video, which goes through effectively every angle of an NHRA Camping World Series national event, from the TV trucks to how loud the cars are. He's up there. Kyle from 1320 Video got a, uh, a decibel meter, and he's up there in the grandstands taking decibel readings of fuel cars and pro stockers and everything else. And then the next video that they released in the series was the most in-depth look at a top fuel operation I've ever seen. And it's 45 minutes long, and every second of it is fantastic. He spends race day with Clay Milliken uh, interviewing every one of the crew members, understanding what they do on a specific level, talking about how much the parts and pieces cost, and really going through everything. It's not the normal, oh, look at these guys and girls rebuilding an engine. It is way more in-depth than that. And you're actually even involved in the team meeting on Sunday morning, which I think is a hugely important factor of that video. Watch the whole thing, especially watch the, the team meeting that is held before first round on Sunday. And, you know, this is the this is how a drag racing team works. And we don't normally see this type of thing. I think uh, it's one of the elements of the sport we need to do a better job covering. It's one of the elements of the sport I know that we are working hard to cover better. 
not necessarily the team meeting, so to speak, but the idea that these are teams, as much as the New England Patriots or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a team, as much as as much as the San Francisco Giants or the or the, the Angels or the Texas Rangers are a team. These drag race teams are the same. There are team meetings. There are jobs. There are responsibilities. There are consequences for not doing your job the right way. And when you watch this video, you're going to get a much more holistic sense of what it means to be involved in professional drag racing than maybe you've gotten in the past. So uh, the other great thing about 1320 video coming out is, is the audience of 1320 video is an audience that they do a lot of, you know, small and big tire no prep stuff. They do a lot of the outlaw style drag racing coverage, but this is their first foray into NHRA coverage and they really knocked it out of the park, especially to understand and educate their audience, which isn't the typical, you know, NHRA fan. So make sure you check those out. Shameless plugs all across the media universe. With that being said and done, let's transition to our first guest, a guy who had an absolute breakout season in the world of NHRA Pro Modified Action over the course of the 2021 season. The driver of the Elite HP machine that began the season Pro Charge, they switched horses to a twin turbo car and the magic began happening. Mr. Lyle Barnett. Lyle, how you doing, man? All right, so our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, a multi-time winner on the 2021 NHRA Pro Mod Racing Tour, Mr. Lyle Barnett. Lyle, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. Um, amidst a, a snow apocalypse up here in the Carolinas, and I don't know how much experience you have in the Carolinas when there's snow on the ground, but people absolutely lose their minds. They've bought all the bread and milk, no peanut butter and jelly or lunch meat, so I'm really not sure what they're eating, but I know they're drinking a lot of milk, so... We're right dead in the middle of it, though, but everything's going good. So, by you're talking about dinner time, it's going to be cannibalism there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, everybody's dogs are in danger. Uh, <laughs> tough times. <laughs> so, man, what a uh, what a what a year you had in 2021, and I want to reflect a little bit on that before we talk about 22. But um, just you know, it, this was a season that tested your metal in a lot of different ways. Mentally, tested your metal as a driver. I mean, this was a really, at the end of the day, a very satisfying year. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we uh, as roller coaster like of a year as as I've ever had, you know, and <clears throat> when you look at my career across the board, it's kind of been the same way, right? You know, I kind of started at the bottom, really took off in the radio world. Right as the time I got to the peak, you know, I had the bad crash, um, back downhill for a while, made the climb back to the top, and so far, um, we've continued on this upward trajectory. Um, you know, last year was was a, a roller coaster in itself. Uh, we started, the, you know, on a high note, just kind of coming into the class as a rookie and qualified fourth at the Gator Nationals. Um, and uh, one that I did not forget, we can talk about it later, I lost on a whole shot to J.R. Gray in the quarters. Um, and really from that, from that round uh, throughout the majority of the rest of the season, we were just on this almost downward spiral. Um you know, the NHRA tech department hit us with a pretty hefty rule change immediately following Gainesville. Yeah, instantly. And it really just, it really just put our program behind, you know, and, and we fought, you know, we didn't give up. Um, we fought throughout the middle of the summer, uh, didn't qualify very well anywhere, uh, managed to go a couple rounds. You know, I went to the, I went to the quarters at the U.S. Nationals, um, you know, go to Charlotte, Qualify 15th, lose first round uh, to either Brandon Snyder. No, I lost to Jeffrey Barker. And, you know, and it was about – you've known me long enough. You know, I, I'm, like you like you say often, I race with a high level of intensity and I freaking hate to lose. I mean, despise it. 
Like there's nothing in anything I do. Cornhole, I'm not very good at golf, but I hate losing at that too. And, you know, when it's something that I've really devoted most of my life to, you know, and, and something I take, it is my job now, you know, I oh, it, it literally drives me up the wall. So I was – I don't, I'm not a quitter, but I was ready to just take a step back after Charlotte. Like, guys, it's, you know, the, at the end of the day, this shit's not, it's not cheap. You know, it, it's oh, very no, expensive. And for us to, to pack up and haul across the country, you know, you're talking about a minimum of a 10 to, depending on where we're going, 10 to $20,000 in travel expense, you know? Yeah. And I was ready for a break. You know, guys, we've got to regroup. Let's go test. Let's not race the rest of the year and just get our program back on track and let's come out swinging in 22. And the Harrison family, um, you know, approached me at dinner on Sunday night in Charlotte at Z-Max Dragway uh, at the fall race and said, what do you think about bringing the twin turbo car back out? And at that point, I'd have raced a Model T, you know, like anything, <laughs> anything to change the direction, right? You know, like just sure, you know, you know, and then I got home and I've raced turbo stuff for years now i mean it's really the only thing i've driven with the exception of some cameo appearances and some other cars yeah it's all i've driven for you know six or seven years now and 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 i felt like timing was right and just something to kind of send us down a different path you know we we literally converted the car in two weeks and off to dallas we go you know, you know? And, and the thing of it is to me uh, it's a gutsy decision on a couple levels, but on the competitive level, like we haven't seen a turbo car win a race in a couple seasons yet. Right. So it's like, right. it's like going from the frying pan straight into the fire with this thing. And, and that's right. It, and it, to me, it's an interesting perspective that you bring to this. Cause I obviously wanted to understand that the metrics of this decision, because as competitive as you are, it's almost like when, when you guys showed up with that thing, I certainly didn't discount it, but I thought, Jesus, if they're struggling with the pro charger, how is this going to help anything? Well, little did anybody right. know, and it helped a lot. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I told, I'd gotten comfortable enough. Well, you know, I'd never driven a pro mod ever yeah. until I, until I went to Bradenton Motorsports Park actually a year ago, almost to date. Um, you know, I'd never, never driven a pro mod car. So I figured it was going to take me the majority of the year just to get comfortable, you know, and that really only took me like seven or eight passes, you know, and yeah. I was, and I was good to go. And I told Justin, I said, look, man, Justin Elks, my crew chief and the owner of Modern Racing here, I said, look, man, if you can give me a car that's com- that is competitive, I will. I promise you will win a race, you know. And so we get in the turbo car, and if if you've ever – you've been around it long enough, but any listeners, you know, know that the turbo cars for the first 60 feet, including when you let go of the button, are just sluggish. They're a little slow, you know, compared to the other combinations. So cutting a decent light – um, can be a struggle uh, if if you're not comfortable and familiar with staging a turbo car, you know, and and all the kind of the tricks and stuff that I've learned over the years and in ways to adjust the way that I let go of the trans brake. And now with these Beyondo double O's uh, trans brake buttons, they are adjustable. You know, we're not allowed a delay box um, or anything in NHRA, but you, you know, with any mechanical adjustments. So, when I when I went, when we went testing in the turbo car, I think when I let go of the button the first time, I think I was twenty, and uh, for the rest of the day I was red, and I'm like, okay, well, slow we the can button fix down. that. Yeah, slow you the know, button down. Yeah, that we can fix. Um, it's really hard to speed it up. Super easy to slow it down. So, 
um, I took it upon myself. You know, I hit the practice tree thousands of times um, leading up to Dallas because I did not, I did not want to hear over the radio, "Yeah, man, good run, but he got you on the tree." I never want to hear that again. <laughs> yeah, um, those words haunt me. So. Um, I took it upon myself to make sure that in the driver's seat, I did everything that I needed to do and was supposed to do to ensure that the car, if it made the trip, um, could get there first, you know, and, and damn if we didn't do it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was awesome. And again, you know, we've had this discussion a few times, but people that are good at this sport, you watch them first, second, third. I mean, it's like you just keep slicing it a little bit thinner and thinner, and not in yep. a risky way, but it's like you watch these great drivers. You know, I you watch guys like you. I watch pro stock drivers like Dallas Glenn and Erica able to do it, and it's amazing to me because when you see somebody that's good in the first round, a little bit better second round, really good in the third round, and then just lights out in the final, it, it does speak to your not only your level of comfort, but your complete understanding about how that car works. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's and you you have to approach, and and that will change. And you can watch me; it, that will change depending on where I qualify, right? You know, like in Dallas, um, I qualified in the bottom half. Well, you can't go up there and be mediocre in the first round. Yeah. Like you, you got it. You got to go after it from the word go. You know, and so my my approach to to any given round completely depends on who I'm running. You know, there are guys in the class who struggle to cut a light. And there are guys in the class that you're going to have to be at your best um, if you're going to leave first, you know. So, but yeah, you've got to one, you know, mental acuity. You've got to be able to go up there and one, focus on your job. There's a lot more going on in a turbo car, and a lot more that has to go right. Um, as far even even the electronic systems on board, there's so much that has to go right and be perfect for the car to make a good run. So. One, you have to be aware of what's going on. Make sure that everything is your 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 staged right. You've you know you've got all your all your buttons are on and all the all the bottles are. On. I mean, there's so much that that has to go right for one of those cars to really make a good run. And then on top of that, you have to be aware of who you're running. Know whether they're going to hang you out if you go in first, um, you know, or whether you can you can bump it on in. Do you need to stage shallow or deep? Like there's so much that that can that can vary you know and then sometimes i stage the car with intentions of flickering the bulb you know like because that that too can can cause some drivers to go to the two-step early you know and if you can flicker it long enough you can cause them to come off the two-step and then immediately go in and you have to be able to listen to what they're doing along with listening to the you know the turbo car there's a particular tone in the motor it makes when it gets to boost right or when it's on the two-step so at the same time you got to know what's going on you know and there's a lot to consider and all that happens in a matter of you know a a run from burnout to to the finish line takes you know roughly three minutes right two and a half minutes or something like that at most so um you know there's a lot that goes on that you have to be aware of um and then on top of that you got to let go of the button on time keep that thing in the middle of the racetrack and make sure you get the shootout you know like it's just a lot that's a lot to consider and a lot going on yeah, there is. And, you know, when, when we watched the, the victory you scored down in Texas, um, which was, uh, one, any race is a great race to win, but Stampede of Speed win was over the top. You get the cowboy yep. hat, the works. And <laughs> your, you know, your reaction at the top end, we, we had this great kind of behind the scenes video. And, and to me, it was cool because it was everything was happening in your brain at once. It was like, this is such a relief. This is so awesome. This is this is what I've always wanted to, you know, it was this cool yep. thing. You could physically see pretty much every one of your emotional sensors firing at the same time. Right. Yeah, you know, it was, 
uh, all those things considered the most important, you know, and what stood out the most to me is it was the most full circle moment that I've experienced in my drag racing career ever. You know, like you think about even when my career started with dreams and aspirations to get to where I am today. And then I had the crash. Um, we come back in the Jason Digby owned uh, tooth jerker, Dodge dart, leaf spring car, um, reset the record several times, win the first race back at South Georgia, you know, and, and at that moment I thought I had experienced, well, this is full circle. We've done it all, you know, and then I break into the professional ranks you know, my dad races with me. He was with, you know, him and my mom and the rest of my family were by my side through the whole wreck. And then we get to experience our first professional win in the NHRA together um, in our first season in a brand new car back to my turbo roots. You know, it was just, it was feel good all the way around for us, you know, and, and I'm, you know, and then on top of that, we're a part of elite motorsports and we're on the yeah. main stage. Like there's a lot, but for the most part, for me, the emotion came from just the struggle and, you know, and what we had been through to get to that point. And it finally felt like we had made it and we had done it, you know, like it was just a, a true full circle feel. Yeah. And, you know, to have the second wall, you could collect a one off for the you know national yeah. event. One thousand is another great thing to have on the other end of the bookshelf. I mean, that's a you know, that is a Wally that, you know, will never be reproduced. That's a one off. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I told Joe, Joe, um, that at, in my interview there on the stage in front of the tower there at Vegas, you know, that there's only one of those. Um, and forever I will go down as the pro modified winner of the 1000th NHRA national event. And nobody will ever take that from me, you know, and that's, if I never win another race, um, when, you know, when statisticians later down the road, look back at the 1000th national event, my name's going to be there, you know, and that's something that, that, there was only one of those once in a lifetime deal. And we just happened to get the job done, you know, again on a whole shot. Um, I, I give my team, you know, all the credit, man, those guys, they work so hard, you know, between rounds, there's a lot that goes on to get these cars turned around. Most of the time we're on the short end of the stick as far as scheduling is concerned. So we can have as short as 20 to 25 minutes to turn a car around and, uh, and you know, as well as most others, that it's pretty much impossible to yeah. cool a turbo car down uh, in that amount of time. So we, you know, we actually change fluid between rounds, you know, because you just physically do not have time to cool stuff down that quick. Um, but those guys work so hard. Anthony Lum and, uh, and Justin Elks do a fantastic job with, you know, with the tune-up and keeping the car ready. Mike Earl and Ben Stoss and my dad service that thing between rounds. And, you know, before the final round in Vegas – Justin called me in the trailer and he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to win this fucking race. Man. Yeah. You know, like, and he said, well, we've got two options. He said, I think we can go 77 or 78, but there is a chance it won't make it through the shake zone. And I said, okay, well, what do you feel comfortable? It will run it knowing it will go through there. And he said 80 to 81. And I said, put an 80 to 81 in it. I said, I'm going to go up there and mow the tree down. Like there's a chance I'm going to go red. And if I do, so be it right you know and he said he said that's what i would rather do let you and jr go up there and figure it out and uh and you know it he uh he let me do my thing and it worked out you know i think i was 11 um jr was 40 and we beat him by beat him by 11 so yeah and, and you know um, we talk about we talk about things being full circle and how you know i always say this but like drag racing has its own way of the, making these poetic moments so the guy who handed you your first round loss of the season is the guy you win your second race next to on a whole shot to end yeah. the year. I mean, it's, that's, yeah. you can't script it any better than that. 
No, you know, and Jr. Jr. and I are buddies. Um, you know, we we came from the radio outlaw radio world together. Um, you know, and I told him, I told him after Gainesville, I said that payback's coming. You know, I'm, I'm just telling you. You know, I said I don't know when. And uh, and we, you know, I talked a little junk to him about the about the whole shot win there uh, in Vegas. You know, and he told me at PRI, he said, "Man, that one still hurts today as bad as it did the day you beat me." He said, "It's going to be a long off season having to think about that one." You know? Yeah, well, that, and because I said, that's well, it, right? Because that's the end of the year. There is no we'll get yeah. him next week at that point. Right. Yeah, you know, and I told him, I said, well, well, you might as well get used to it. Y'all better find a couple more numbers because uh, if, if you think you're going to go up there and, and cut my head off again, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what's your take on the, on the addition of screwballs? <sighs> Man, I don't want to get in trouble here. But, um, you know, I, I'm at 100% disagree with the decision. Um and my reasoning for that is, you know, at the U.S. Nationals, we had this huge team, a huge pro-modified class meeting okay. in my pit um, in Indy, you know, and, and it was brought up. And now I, I, I believe that it was brought up just to get a reaction, knowing they were going to include it anyway. Gotcha. Um, and it, it was a unanimous no. Not, not a single, not a single person in the meeting said well maybe it will work stevie jackson led the charge with a, you know with his reasonings why and, and the expense and so on and so forth you know and he said you might pick up one racer or you know it's just there's no good in it for the class and unanimously the entire group those 30 or 40 people there to represent the class unanimously we all agreed no screwblower um, and we made some other suggestions regarding safety, you know, the, the, the safety rules that go into the transmission enclosures yeah. and this, that, and the other. And when the rules come out, it was literally like the opposite of what we suggested, you know? So we're like, well, do we even have a voice, right? You know, yeah. like, is anybody listening to us, you know? So, um, but it's here, it, it, it's here, it's here to stay. And, uh, and I think you're going to see a couple people try it from what I've, from what I understand, um, there is one possibly two new cars coming um but no more than that and i think it's going to be more like one yeah i think you're going to see some of the current roots blown guys uh give it a shot um i know for a fact jason scruggs uh you know stevie will try it i've heard rumor that doug winters is going to try it i think snyder um, i mean it seems snyder might try it because you and i were both down there at, uh, at the snowbirds and he had a screw on that car at the snowbirds i don't know if he was testing for anything for other purposes but it does it's it would seem that he's going to give it a shot as well yeah, and from, you know, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not, but from what I understand, Brandon Snyder is not coming back. Okay. Um, from what I understand, he's going Midwest Pro Mod Racing, okay. maybe do some, some alcohol funny car. You know, he's tied in with uh, the JNA service camp, you know, and, and Jim Whiteley's gone. Uh, Jim Whiteley's going back to an alcohol funny car. He will not be racing Pro Mod next year. Um, so from the looks of it, we've lost more than we've gained. Um, and I'm not, I'm not attributing that to – the no, introduction of the screwblower, but I think there are some other things here that needed to be looked at before we brought another combination into the class. You know, it, it's just more, it's more tech that's involved. Um, there's already four combinations out there. Uh, you know, so, and I don't know, I, I hope it works out. You know, I don't want to see the class continue to kind of decline. It kind of seems agree. while, while pro mod is at, is, is as hyped up as it's ever been. NHRA Pro Mod is not. Outlaw Eighth Mile Pro Mod is booming. It you know, is. it's the best thing going in drag racing right now, with the exception of what's going on in the no prep world. Um, 
And the fact that NHRA Pro Mod is, is really struggling right now is concerning, you know, because if Pro Mod as a whole is the hottest thing going, but it's not NHRA Pro Mod, well, everybody's just going to go where the, where the grass is greener. Yeah, you know? no, that's a fact. And I agree with you 100% in terms of, you know, there, there definitely needs to be uh, significant, you know, decisions and conversations made to reverse the trend of car counts. That is, that that's is right. un- inarguable. It, it has yeah. to happen. And so, so with that being said, and with, with us, with us as the racers, the only ones currently supporting the class, when we're not, when our word is not considered, you know, and, and, and taken into consideration at all, it like, what's, how do, how do we tell people like, oh yeah, man, they, they're, they're, staying on top of the rule changes you yeah. know they're it, and it's it's public right it's it's no it's no secret right it seems like right. they're doing the opposite of what needs to be done you know and and like i've had conversations with people like lonnie Graham and ned you know and we've talked about it you know and like well do you think that you guys performance with the turbo car is going to bring in some more cars when we won dallas i'd bet my next paycheck on it um after we won vegas not because we didn't perform well or, you know, I mean, hell, we won the race, but I told Lonnie, I said, I don't think so, man. I don't, I don't think that, I don't think you're going to see any more come into the class. And simply because we didn't win based off performance, you know, we, we didn't outrun anybody, you know, I think maybe one, I think maybe one or two rounds did I outrun somebody, you know, so it doesn't look while, while we won the races, anybody who would truly consider bringing a turbo car into the field knows that obviously it's still a little bit behind. Yeah. You know, and there were no changes made to the rule set in the off season to help us at all. Like we're not going to win any races between now and middle of the year running 584. No, that's that's not going to do it. No. You know, we literally have to pick up a 10th and a half if we're going to win the Gators, you know? And so I think, so and I talked to them at PRI, you know, and they're they're considering some changes to the turbo car, but it I, I think I don't think you'll see those changes take effect until 2023. So yeah. am I going to spend this year mid packing it, you know, and, and winning a few here and there on hole shots? I don't know, you know. I mean, I think when we go out west in the middle of the summer and the air's super shitty, you know, I think that you'll see us perform pretty well. And I think we've got a combination good enough to be there. In the in, later in the year when we're talking about who's going to win the championship, I truly believe we're going to be there, but it's not going to be based off of our combination being favored per the rule set. You know, we're going to have to race our way there. Um, and so I think yeah. there's there's a lot of there's a lot of homework to be done um, from the NHRA's tech department. You know, and and there's some decisions have to be made this year, and the NHRA is going to have to help us some. Um, you know, as far as payout and you know and, and exposure as far as you know when we're aired on fire there's a lot of things that have got to that are going to have to change if this class is going to continue um if it's going to grow at all it's yeah. not growing right now yeah you know? no and that's uh, yeah the numbers speak for themselves so all valid uh, all valid points from your end one last topic i want to touch on before i let you go is uh small tire no prep racing is something you do a lot of when you're not in the seat yeah. of the pro mod car and you've been highly successful at it so does yeah. does one thing lend to the other does either of these two cars lend anything to each other man uh you know i think that i think on the side of apparel sales they help each other but otherwise <laughs> otherwise no because they're 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 just two totally different things you know i do believe that driving beer money 
in the in the no prep scene on a bias ply or on a slick um, has helped kind of help me pick up the, the the big tire slick driving because they do have their similarities going down the racetrack a little bit the way the car moves around some um, but otherwise I mean I guess you could you could argue that it's some of the my my potential sponsorship pickups for the for the NHRA season uh, for 2022 uh, may have beer money's success and you know being featured in in things like Bang Shift and, and and Drag Illustrated and you know and Drag Zine and Competition Plus you know I think there are some parts of it uh, that that maybe helped me some in the sponsorship hunt but man they're just two totally different animals you know like Beer Money is the biggest pile of junk you've ever seen in your life and it just happens to be fast and win a lot of no prep races you know like Richard Freeman hates the thought of I, I threaten him all the time I'm going to go to Lowe's buy a case of red rust-oleum rattle cans and i'm gonna paint beer money red and put elite motorsports on the side of it and he's like no the hell you're not no you ain't you know i threaten him all the time but um but no nah, man I, I enjoy them both um beer money you know like I'm, obviously i'm eat up with drag racing it's all i do yeah um but beer money is like my my release you know it's like i, I go um you don't have to clean it uh, you fuel it up, put the battery charger on it, and a couple fans. You know, I put like one one set of spark plugs in it a month. Um, it's just super easy and laid back racing. The guys enjoy it. You know, we go there and sell T-shirts, and when the race is over, we get to drink beer and hang out. You know, and and it's just it it's it's less serious. You know, when, yeah. when I show up at an NHRA race, um, shirts tucked in. You know, and we're ready to rock and roll. Uh, go beer money, go beer money racing, and your liable to get catch me without a shirt on at all so you know it's it's like uh it's like going to the country club and then uh, uh going to the to the to the redneck mud bog you know they're just two totally different deals yeah and ultimately this is the type of thing that that builds your fan base and and i know you're not yes. doing it to build a fan base you're doing it because you love the sport and you love to compete but ultimately yeah. like when you go to the a small eighth mile racetrack and and run this car no preps in a no prep event you know ultimately someone's going to walk up and go Hey, when's the next time you're running the pro mod car? I mean, this right. is, you know, this is the type of thing that, that for years, um, for years, you know, NHRA has, has struggled with this idea of connecting with fans outside of exactly what we do. And guys right. like you and JR and Stevie and, and a handful of others cross over in ways that people just haven't done in years. Yep. And man, I still get, I still get walking through the airport or even walking around at NHRA races, I still hear from across the parking lot, like, beer buddy, you know? Yeah, that's like, awesome. People don't know. Uh, most people that have followed my story for, for, you know, since the crash or before or even after, beer money is what I'm known for, you yeah. know, for the most part. Now, I'm, we're starting to get some traction with the Pro Mod deal, being that I've, you know, I won two national events. But I still... I mean, I was just, I, I went to the bracket race, the, uh, the uh, New Year's Nationals at Bradenton and drove for a guy uh, a few weeks ago. And I'm at baggage claim waiting on my bags to come out. And this dude comes down the escalator when he gets to the bottom, you know, he goes, beer money. You know, and I'm like, what's up, man? <laughs> so even still to this day, you know, that's really what I'm known for, you know, and, and that's awesome. Like, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to to shy away from the beer money deal. Like it's still my flagship yeah. for my brand, you know, and, and I'm going to, as long as I can keep that thing off the walls and, and on all four, I'm going to race that thing as long as I possibly can. So amen to that. Lyle, thanks for taking some time, man. It's always great to catch up with you and uh, kind of get your insights on a bunch of stuff and looking forward to seeing it in 2022, man. Yes, sir. See you at the Gators. So a great conversation with Lyle Barnett leads us to a second conversation as we welcome our second guest onto this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is the man behind Metzer Motorsports, Mr. Mark Metzer. How are you doing, sir? 
I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? I'm doing really well. And uh, for those of you that don't know Mark, he has had a, an integral effect on the evolution of drag race suspension technology and, and especially endorse slammer racing. And I want to talk a lot about that. But the first thing I want to touch on is how you and I are both complete dweebs and dorks uh, about race cars of all eras. And all we do is text each other about historic racing things. Yeah, we're like, um, it's like a Reader's Digest club of like your monthly subscription to bizarre motorsports history from the far corners of the interweb. So I I wait around for stuff to come from loans and I pull up these links and it's like some obscure documentary on a diesel indie car, you know, something you never heard of. And then I find a steam powered, you know, hill climber or something and send him a link to that. So it's a it's a trade of like a pen pal for for automotive dorks. It is, but in, in a way, it speaks to it speaks to who, how your brain works, and it speaks to why you've been successful in this genre. And I want people to understand kind of your background and how you ended up, you know, working so in depth in drag racing because it didn't start that way. No, no, we uh, I came from circle track background with dirt late models. Um, my granddad was a member of NASCAR. Uh, started racing with the Earnhardts and the Petties like in the 40s. Um, so I, I grew up on the dirt, and I really accidentally stumbled into drag racing. It was a total accident. I had no intentions of being involved in it. Um, I was a huge fan of it. Like, I mean, it was nuts about drag racing. I went to everything that I could, you know, anytime I wasn't racing the circle track car, we'd go hang out at the drag strip. But um, by accident... I got invited to go to a drag race and ended up working on a car. And like those guys were racing on 10 fives, you know, 33, 10 fives. And I'm, I'm looking and I'm like, this shit, what they're doing does not make sense. Like, I think I, I have a better way to do this. And, and these guys were evidently ignorant enough about the fact that I didn't know what I was doing, <laughs> that they let me do what I wanted to do. And, and so we accidentally sped the car up and, um, the rest is history, you know. Drag racers are are kind of cool. They'll tell their friends when something cool happens. The circle track guys won't do that. They won't tell their mother if they find something, you know. <laughs> dog peed on the tire. We picked up a tenth of a second. Don't tell anybody. Don't let the dog like you know around anybody else's tires. That kind of deal. And so, and and you know, in general terms. How did that mentality, the, the circle track alert, dirt, I mean, late model racer mentality, how did that aid your kind of advancement in this sport? I mean, how did how did that set of fresh eyes and that seemingly disparate kind of form of motorsports have any effect on, on drag racing? Well, I think because I didn't know anything about drag racing, um, I didn't have any preconceived ideas. Like, I didn't know how those guys set up a four-link. Um, I'd never had any experience with that i didn't know how they set up a front end i didn't know how they ran weight uh bias or any of that stuff so only experience i had to draw on was you know circle track and road racing experience um and so you know when we got to the point where we needed to make traction um primarily with the small tire cars i understood how to make bite with a dirt late model by inducing a bunch of uh thrust angling to the four length so i did that then it made the back of the car pop up and they, you know, look like Joe dirt going down the racetrack. Um, which, you know, the, the second thing that happened after we got traction is we started trying to flip over backwards. So then we had to fix the front end. <laughs> and it turns out that what we were doing in the back actually would fix what was going on in the front. We just needed to do more of it. So we induced more uh, movement in the back of the car, more separation. 
which would then, you know, drive the nose down like a door wedge and things would go down the racetrack really fast. And, you know, and to me, as, as we talk about this in general terms, you know, this was something that was, you know, this was like radial car stuff only. You only did this type of stuff with a radial car. And, and again, speaking to kind of your mind and how things work, over time, this idea that that only works with a radial car, this, this, this kind of setup has gone out the window, right? You've taken a lot of what you've learned on these small tire cars and been able to navigate it and kind of massage it into work on the big tire stuff. Yeah, to to a degree, um, the concept is is a is a really good way to run a race car um, because the way that you're making, you know, like mechanical grip is sort of a, a I hate to use that term because mechanical grip doesn't really exist. The, the grip is in the tire, and all you're doing with mechanics is limiting the amount of grip that you're wasting as you apply power. So this kind of configuration that we like to run um yeah to a to a degree it works on really any tire on any surface in any situation given that you get the balance of the rest of the car right and there are some really cool advantages to it um i mean everything like everything it has drawbacks but i you know i think that there are there are limitations to the way the cars are run now uh that have been the way they've been run traditionally that have have limited some of that performance. And I think that's why you saw the, the drag radial cars surpass what the big tire cars had done, at least to the middle of the racetrack in such a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, it was less than a decade or something. They, they were going, you know, two thirty something to the middle. Yeah. That's the thing. We look at how long it took pro modified cars to advance from the, you know, from the early nineties to, you know, even just a few years back. And that that's a long window, 30 something years, basically. And then we look at the, the speed and evolution of the radial style cars caught them in performance in less than a third of the time. That, well, it, there's no waste with a radial tire for one thing that it was, it was a, a known given from day one that you couldn't spin that thing. So you had to, it had to be stuck to the racetrack. So all the focus then became how to make it go faster that stuck to the racetrack. Um, obviously, the glue wagon had a lot to do with that. Yeah. So the radial, you know, that's the one <laughs> provision. You have to put that in air quotations. That without the glue, the tire is as useless as a hockey puck on that racetrack. So, but given the right conditions, because the tire runs stuck to the racetrack and there is no slip there or very little, um, it is much more efficient. And that's always been the downfall of the big slick is that you spend time waiting on that tire. You yeah, know, the thing's going to wrap up before it moves an inch, right? Right. You wrap it up, you spin it, you stop it, then you drive away. It does all this stuff. And and the guys that are really fast on big tires, um, without a doubt, if you watch them and you pay attention, they don't run a bunch of wheel speed. Their, their tire is not on fire. So, so they, they know and they're like, they get better every day at it. It's amazing to watch the evolution of the sport um, and to see what, you know, the technology processor speed is really the most important thing here. Yeah. Because we can log it, uh, we can see what's going on, and then we have processor speed to control it now that we didn't have 20 years ago. And the other and thing we have. We, I'm sorry, go no, ahead. No, go for it. Go, go ahead and finish with that. Oh, I say we, it's really not we, I, I, you know, I'm a suspension guy, shock guy, an overall big picture sort of thinker. And there are a lot of really 
really smart guys that are that are doing stuff out there you know the jamie millers and and uh guys like that they're just phenomenal when it comes to the power management and the and that that innovative side of things Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's and and it all works hand in hand to be to be successful. You know, one of the things you mentioned about you know twenty years ago versus today. I mean, we have more styles of heads up racing on more different sizes of tires and at more different weights and at more different distances than has really existed in any time of the sport. And none of the stuff you do is really a one size fits all solution, right? I mean, that's one of the things I find very interesting about about the suspension end of drag racing as well, because it's not just like oh, yep, do this and you're done i mean all these different classes and categories have their own different type of proclivities absolutely i mean just looking at the the rules uh for for the sanctioned heads up classes you have weights anywhere from four thousand pounds down to 2100 pounds and so just that weight difference alone um, dictates a totally different set of thought processes that go into designing the the valve code for the dampers deciding what spring rates to run figuring out how to balance that weight in the car you know how much do you get over the rear wheels how much over the front wheels how high can that center of gravity be without this thing just flipping upside down like a turtle when you let go of the trans brake but <laughs> you know there's a lot of a lot of factors that you have to figure into this equation when you want to set one of these things up and I think it also bears mentioning, you know, we're talking about, you know, multi-thousand horsepower pro mods and, and drag radial cars here, but, you know, the stuff you do and, and your your product line effectively can be found on virtually every single level of drag racing. That's the other thing, too, that, you know, obviously the Highline stuff gets the most attention, but there are a lot of race cars across the country, whether they're sprung dragsters or whether they're, you know, they're steel body door cars, whatever class they're running. And, you know, your stuff is on those things. And I think that's also a point worth mentioning as well. Well, you know, something that, that we've found, it's been a, a marketing challenge, but our guys with less power probably need our assistance more than the guys that have a lot of power. Um, with a lot of power comes the freedom to waste a lot of it. And so when you get down to the nitty gritty and you're in a very limited application, such as ultra street, um, you don't have the power to waste. You have to get every bit of it to the ground. And so, you know, we found classes like that, that we can make a huge difference in the program without ever touching the laptop or getting into the tune up, just helping them with the suspension because they're able to utilize that limited power. And one of the things that's fascinating to watch, and I remember this vividly from before the Gator Nationals last year, where there was a test day. Um, a lot of the guys were out there running. Factory stock showdown cars were out kind of in force. And I think it was a Stanfields, and they went out there, and I think it was Aaron stood on the gas, just roasted the tires, roasted the tires, stops, backs up toward the starting line again. It's a test session, so it's a lot less informal. Pop the hood open, about five seconds worth of adjustments on the, the shock absorbers in the front. And yep. the thing pulled a wheelie and went down the racetrack. I mean, we're talking just, it's that finite. Sure. No, these things are, they're on the edge. Um, and especially those, those copos and drag packs and stuff, those guys, they're, they're maximum effort little cars and they're only limited by the tiny tire that they have to run and how heavy they are, you know, but everything else on those things is like full tilt. 
Yeah, and the NHRA's Factory X class, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure you've heard about it. I don't know if you've had sure. any inquiries, and I want to talk a little bit about this because it kind of takes that factory stock showdown concept to a, to a step ahead. And in a lot of ways, this is new to NHRA fans, but it is not new in drag racing. Like a, a 10 a 105W <laughs> tire on a heavy car is, is something that's been around since the, you know, the dawn of mankind, if you will, in this sport. But it has captured a lot of people's attention, and I'm, I'm hoping there's some buzz on your end of it as well. Yeah, we uh, we definitely have heard uh, rumblings, and I know that there have been inquiries in the shop here. Um, I don't know what will come of it. It'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, again, there's there's other other venues out there that have been running this for such a long time. It's something we have a lot of expertise in that area. Um, we've we've been doing it since you know back to two thousand nine or ten or something like that. So. Um, I, I hope it takes off and does well. I, I would like, you know, it's one of the most exciting things to watch because the tire is inherently in, unstable. Yeah. They're driving all over the racetrack. They're doing wheelies. They're from one end of the lane to the other. So it's, you know, it kind of gets down to my core belief about drag racing that the first thing we got to do if we want to stay in business is put on a show. Yes. And so I'm, I'm glad that someone thought that this was a good idea. Yeah, me too. Uh, sincerely glad because it is it is to a degree outside of the box of, of what NHRA has done over the last several years, and I think that's, that's in a good way. And like you said, these cars, by right, should be fairly entertaining to watch. With the power they're going to make, they should run high sixes around 200 miles an hour, and, and that uh, in a stock body should be very fun to watch. Absolutely. Yep. And you know, one of the things we, we chatted about a few weeks ago during the during the earlier part of the off season is and again this speaks to kind of the, the curious kind of guy you are that always has something going on. I want the suspension guy to tell everybody what your latest drag drag car project is. I'm gonna build a, a vintage uh, front end drags front and dragster. With no suspension. <laughs> With no suspension. Yeah. Take that out of there. I, then at least I can't blame myself if it doesn't work. Why? Why? Why a front engine dragster? Why a slingshot? Uh, you know, when I was a kid, like um, those things were the coolest thing on the planet. I had all the Hot Wheels. Um, I'm a child of the '70s, so I'm dating myself, my age here. But um, you know, I had had all the Hot Wheels, and and so Snake and Mongoose and Shirley Muldowney and Big Daddy. You know, I watched every every Sunday, every weekend if I was able to i would sneak that that nhra drag racing onto the tv you know the, and that was just those were the cars man they were the coolest thing like you had to have a real set to like hop on top of the rear end housing and let drop the clutch on that and you and you actually had to hope you still had that set when you got to the end of the racetrack what was it that you told me the men were men and the women were tougher than a three dollar steak? Something like that. Yeah, that, that back in those days, that's yeah, that, that made an impression on me. You know, it's it and it's it's one of those things to me that you know, having just talked to Lyle Barnett, he talked about you know running the Promart car versus going to run his his beer money car, which is a small tire no prep car. You're very familiar with, but this in a lot of ways is the same for you. Like it is the it is having something that you do really. You do things that challenge you professionally, but then you also need to do things that entertain you personally, and that's what this is going to be for you. I I don't really intend to race the car, to be honest. Like I, it's going to be a piece of moving artwork, and we're gonna you know we're gonna make it super cool. Um, and and the plan is to 
build the thing, have a lot of fun doing the project, um, make a bunch of noise with it, do huge burnouts, uh, take a lot of pictures of a lot of kids climbing in this thing and have it on display and just let people appreciate it for, you know, giving them a, a, a glimpse of what it was like 50 years ago in drag racing. Yeah, it's a, it's it's all the right, absolutely all the right motivations. And I guess the last question I have for you, it's kind of a, a double sided question, but what it, what is what do you see as kind of the next plateau, the next challenge for the sport of drag racing in terms of the technological end of it? And what are the things that make you wake up and and put your nose to the grindstone every day and, and continue to, to to develop? I I. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm wise enough to not even want to guess at what the next technological <laughs> plateau is because I, I remember when we first started with the radial versus the world cars and, and I think Wolfie went like four forties and everybody was, Oh my gosh, you know, they look like Fred Sanford having a heart attack. Um, we can never go faster than that. And now then we went three forties. So you know, in 10 years. Um, I don't think that any of us can guess what's going to come next. I mean, obviously technology gets better all the time. Yeah. And the ability really where, what it comes down to is the ability to record and analyze what's taking place during the run. And that gets better every day. And with that, you've got uh, 10,000 guys out there that are really way better than I am at taking all those little things and smoothing the rough edges off of them. So there's going to, the ET barriers will just keep falling. Speed barriers will just keep falling. Things will just get better and better. The only limitation will be the ability of the racing surface to contain it yeah. and the ability of the tire manufacturers to put a tire on the things that will stay together. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so, and with, you know, and again, that was a part of the explosion of radial racing. Mickey Thompson came out with that 315 radial and continued to improve that thing and pushed the limit of what anyone thought was possible by bettering the tire technology as the, the race cars got better. Yeah. And, and it, it went hand in hand, you know, it absolutely it, went hand in hand. And I mean, to me, it was an amazing thing to watch because I mean, at one point it would seem like every couple of weeks they had a little bit of an advancement or they had a little bit of an alteration they'd make. I mean, they were taking like direct feedback from races and going back to the plant with it. Yes. I, I went to multiple tire tests, um, where, where we would say, all right, we're better at, at the middle of the racetrack, but we need something here on the starting line. Those guys would come back in two weeks and say, this is a different compound. We've altered the casing characteristic. We've done this. We've stiffened the sidewall. Let's see if you like this better. And lo and behold, the thing would be better. I mean, they were, you know, they were, they were really on top of it. It was a, it was a great, it was a fun experiment. I liken it to the, the can-am of, of our generation. You know, we just didn't have rules really. And nobody was there to police how much money it costs or how absurd it got. So it just, it was a lot of fun. It, it was a brilliant thing to witness firsthand. I mean, it really was. And, and to your point, you talk about, you talk about 
the racers and stuff of that Can-Am era, and they all say the same thing. They say, you have no idea how awesome it was when it was just wide open. And obviously, you know, the, the, it's the same fate that, that met Can-Am that, that has met to some degree the pinnacle of, of radio racing is when there is no when there is no leash on anybody or there is no ratchet strap on anybody's wallet, uh, people will find a way to spend themselves into absolute oblivion. Right. Yeah, it's a sickness, man. It's totally a sickness. You can't help yourself. Um and I get it. So, you know, I'm lucky I don't have any money or I would do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a, that's actually, that's a brilliant point. There is a, there is a beauty, a beauty in, in poverty, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Simplicity. Yeah. So man, it's always, but, you uh, know, go for it. We get up every day and we come to the shop and, and, um, and it's like, it's just a series of constant little improvements and tweaks. Um, we've got a bunch of new stuff that's coming out you know the end of the spring um a bunch of updates on our product line and and we're always developing new stuff we've had a blast working in the late model performance market with the modern hemi stuff and corvettes and ctsvs and whatnot um so that's that's been great fun for us and i'm going to do some more um some pdra stuff this year with their 28 inch uh slick tire class and their 33 10.5 class so like that's that's kind of the stuff I'm excited about for this year. A little different scenery, um, some different stuff, and, and a new class to play with. Nah, it's great, man. It's great. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you, Mark. And certainly, uh, I'm I'm glad that we had the chance to do this because a lot of people I think have come away from uh, from this conversation with a with a lot of maybe insight that they didn't have coming in. So I appreciate that's the time, man. Uh, thank you, Brian. And I got like three or four things to text you this afternoon, so be be near your phone. <laughs> I'll be ready. <laughs> He's Mark Mentzer of Mentzer Motorsports. And that is the end of this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. When in the inside the world of pro modified racing and inside the tech end of some of the fastest door slammer drag cars on planet Earth. Thank you to Lyle Barnett and Mark Mentzer for taking the time to join us on this episode of the show. We'll be back next week with more off-season insight, off-season rumors, and maybe some more off-season breaking news. We are hearing that next week, and I'm talking about the final week of the month in January, is going to be a, uh, a ground shaker when it comes to big news. Stay tuned. As always, I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening, and thanks for following the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing and the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. Make sure you go to NHRA.com and grab your tickets to the NHRA Lucas Oil Winter Nationals presented by Protect the Harvest coming to Auto Club Raceway Pomona in February. Get there to Pomona and heck, come see us a week before in Phoenix as you can catch the test session which will be open to the public on Saturday. You can go and check out the uh, Wild Horse Pass Motorsports Park website for details on how to attend the test session as well. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.